Good morning. I'm Randy Peterson. I am honored to be part of the preaching team here at Hope Church at both uh, Voorhees and Mount Laurel. Uh, This morning, I understand I am being um, taped or recorded or whatever they do with recordings these days and uh, and shipped to to Mount Laurel. So hello, everyone in Mount Laurel. Kreger, I see you there, okay. And Hannah and Stephanie, Jabari, Chris, um, and here in uh, Voorhees, good to be with you too, Lori, Joe, and Dorothy, and Loretta, and I won't name all of you individually, but uh, um, I'm here with you as well. We are two churches in one, no, we are one church in two locations. (laughs) Man, I've been practicing that all week, and I got it wrong. When I started my career as a writer and editor, I worked in a little print shop where I had to learn how to do everything. And uh, so I had to not only write and edit things, but uh, type them up. And we sent them off to a typesetter, and and it would come back, and I would need to uh, design. It was simple pamphlets and booklets and things, so not major artwork involved, but uh, I would need to, uh, to, to paste this up. This was in an era, this will show how old I am, this is before computers. So all of this stuff is now easily done at the click of a button, but it was very manual at this point, sending it off to a typesetter. We'd get back these kind of rolls of, of printed copy that then I would take, I would take an X-Acto knife and cut those rolls of copy to fit on a cardboard template that I have of the pages that I needed. And so I'd measure it carefully and take these scrolls, cut them apart, put rubber cement on the back of them, paste them down, leave room for a picture maybe, a headline maybe, and carve everything kind of to fit and create a camera-ready document that then the printer would be able to shoot a picture of and then then print. Uh, it just seems so archaic right now. But when you see on your computer those cut and paste commands, at one point they were really cutting and pasting. Keep that image in your mind. Cut and paste. Me working with an X-Acto knife to work on the scrolls to apply them to the usable format. Okay? One of the first verses I learned in Sunday school was 2 Timothy 2.15. I learned it in the King James Version. We're going to show it on the screen in a more modern version, and you can compare So can we get that on the screen? Okay. In King James, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Thank you very much. That was like 55 years ago I learned that. So so, um, it's much more understandable here in the modern language. Do your best 
to, uh, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, his protege, who was a pastor in a church, and he is saying, Timothy, as you share the word with people, handle it correctly, get it right. Learn how to present it to the people. Be a good workman in that way. I want to zero in on that phrase, correctly handling, though, which in the King James is rightly dividing. This is one of the cases where there is something in the old language, rightly dividing, that that we lose when we make it correctly handling. This is probably easier to understand, but something in the original language, rightly dividing, really captures that. The word in Greek is essentially orthotomy. So we'll do a little language lesson here. Orthotomy. You know these words because they're in English. Ortho, how many of you have gone or have sent children to an orthodontist, right? You, what does an orthodontist do? Sets teeth right, straight. That ortho word is straight. You may have orthotic shoes that teach your feet how to be straight, proper, correct, right. That's what ortho means. Orthodox is right teaching. The word used here in 2 Timothy 2.15 is ortho or, orthotomy, and so the T-O-M ending there means to cut. Um, lobotomy, cuts a part of the brain out, right? A tonsillectomy, cuts the tonsils. And so right cutting is what Paul is asking Timothy and us to do. He's asking us to take our exacto knife to those scrolls of the word of God and slice through them to, to learn how to, to interpret them correctly so that we can apply them to the template of our lives. This is important work that we do, and we do that in classes, in small groups, and in preaching week after week after week at this church. We work at reading this, this amazing book of the Bible and applying it, cutting through it to find the ideas, the, uh, those images that will particularly speak to us and mean something in our lives. Now there's a problem when you become an expert at right cutting. You're the surgeon. You are taking your scalpel to the word of God and being above the word and exerting power over what God has said. What's wrong with that picture? Well, it gets improved by another verse that I learned somewhat later in life, Hebrews 4.12. It was quoted last week in both in Voorhees and Mount Laurel. Uh, Let's see that on the screen, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so... As we bring our scalpel to the scripture, suddenly the tables are turned and scripture takes its scalpel to us. 
We need the scripture to cut into us, to judge our thoughts and attitudes, to challenge us to live a certain way. We are not over scripture. We are humbly coming before the word of God and letting the word do what it will do with us. So this is the first of several key points that I want you to remember. And I'm sorry I didn't make a slide for this for the screen. So you have to remember it or type it into something or write something down. So we cut into scripture and scripture cuts into us. Okay, maybe a bit graphic for you, but we cut into scripture, scripture cuts into us. We do our work of right cutting and scripture does that to us, challenging us in our lives. Now, I've heard people say, why are you spending all this time on a book? The Bible is a book. It's a nice book, maybe. It's maybe a wise book, maybe has some inspiring things in it. But it's a book written by people. Why do you spend so much time on a book? There are a a number of people that you live and work with who have who have that attitude. And it's a legitimate way to think. I mean, I think they're wrong, but it's, it's, they have a right to think that. So how, how do we respond to that? We need to take that seriously and respond. And there are a number of ways. One is to say, hey, try it out. Read some of it for yourself. See if God speaks to you. It's more than a Or it may be that you say, hey, it's in my life. I have lived my life by the Bible. Look at me and see what's happening in my life. I'm not perfect, but I try to follow the Bible's teachings, and it's made a difference in my life. One of the things that I might say is, I believe in a creator. I believe that we human beings are not just a result of random mutations in the evolutionary process. I believe that we are made by the design of an intelligent force, a creator who has created us. And it's a legitimate question then to say, why are we like we are? Why do I have creativity? Well, maybe a creator gave me some of the creativity that created me. Why do I have personality? Maybe the creator has personality and gave that to me. Why do I feel love or joy, these emotions that are really hard to understand sometimes, why do I have them if it was not the creator who gave it to me? Why is relationship so important to us as human beings? Maybe the creator wants a relationship with us and created us for a relationship. Why do I talk so much? Maybe because we have a creator who loves to communicate. And that's exactly the image we get in the Bible. Beginning in Genesis and all the way through, we have a God who loves to communicate, who is speaking throughout In all sorts of situations, to all sorts of people, God speaks. And Jeff and Rick talked about this last week. That in the creation account itself, the third verse of the Bible, God speaks. He says, let there be light. And there's light. And he goes on through the creation saying, let there be this, let there be this, let there be this. And it springs into being. God speaks the universe into existence. 
God's word makes a difference. And we see that as he talks to Abraham and Sarah, as he talks to Moses, as he talks to Jacob, as he talks to David, as we go through the scriptures and God is constantly talking to people and things happen as a result. God speaks and things happen. And I would say that the Bible is our record of God speaking and things happening. That's your second takeaway today. So if you're taking notes, okay, the first one was we cut into Scripture, Scripture cuts into us. Second one is God speaks and things happen. The Bible is the record of God speaking and things happening. Now those things that happen as a result are all over the gamut there. That sometimes people respond in faith and they do what God wants, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they reject. Sometimes they go their own way. And we see what happens in those stories. But the Bible is the record of God speaking and things happening, and we learn as we watch that happening. A third point that I want to say about the Bible here uh, comes from the fact that I know that there are parts of the Bible that a lot of you, even if you believe the Bible with all your heart, you may have trouble with some parts of the Bible, that there are some sections of the Bible that you just don't get. Why is that there? It happens to me all the time. One clue in this, this isn't going to solve all your problems, but it's a, it, it helps, is that the New Testament helps us read the Old Testament. Okay, that's your third major point tonight, today. Um, the New Testament helps us read the Old Testament. I have a couple of specific examples. And again, it doesn't solve all the problems. There are still some difficult parts of Scripture that we just need to puzzle through to cut through correctly. But the New Testament gives us some really great guidance along the way. Uh, some of you uh, may be puzzled by some of the laws in, in the opening books of the Bible. Leviticus, Deuteronomy have a lot of, of commands about how the people of Israel were to live. And some of them make perfect sense. You shall not steal. Okay, it's good to have a society where people don't steal from each other. But then there are some other kind of weird things where, okay, you're not supposed to wear clothing of two different fabrics. So I am violating that as we speak. <laughs> you know, these polyester pants and like a burlap shirt or something. It's... Why? Why is that command there? What does that mean? Or is that something? Do we have to follow this under penalty of punishment from God? Well, the Bible talks to us. The New Testament talks to us about the value of Old Testament law. And it tells us a very important thing that the law cannot save us. We do not earn eternal life with God by keeping God's rules. We can't. We fail. We are incapable of being good enough for God on our own. The law shows us how much we need the grace of God. The law shows us how much we need the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul said in Galatians, we have this verse, For the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
Now, the word for guardian here is another one of those interesting Greek words uh, that you may know, sort of. Uh, it's pedagogue. And so some of you, if you studied education at all, you may know the word pedagogy. It's the leading of children. And so in that time, uh, in, in an affluent household, there might be a household servant, a nanny, perhaps, who would lead a child to school. Wouldn't be the teacher of the child, but would lead the child to the tutor or the school. And that's what Paul is saying the law is. The law has that role of leading us to Christ. Christ is the master. He is the teacher. He is the leader here. He is our Lord. But the law gets us there by showing us that we can't follow all these rules on our own. I know some of you may have problems with some of the stories in the history parts of the Old Testament and some of the things that the people of Israel did as they were settling the land uh, that became known as the land of Israel, uh, fighting battles and just being brutal. And um, there are some problematic passages there, no doubt. But we're given some guidance in the New Testament. Again, it doesn't solve all the problems, but it helps us come to it. And let's take a look at, uh, at the verses we have there as Paul is writing. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So there are some stories there that we see people working through some difficult situations and we may have some hope uh, as a result of that. That if God can, can prevail in those situations, we can live with hope. But he also says, this next verse here, he says, now these things, talking about Old Testament stories, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. So as you read through the Bible, don't assume that the Israelites were always getting it right. That they were cutting through the scriptures properly. That they were hearing the word of God in a proper way. We do not assume that they always did the right thing. They made mistakes just as we do. They were human as we are. And so we can read through these passages and in some cases see people doing the right thing and then we have hope that we can do right things as a result of hearing the word of God, but we also see people whose hearts are twisted by idolatry, by their own desires, and they are examples to us of what not to do, and we learn in that way. Paul also talked about um, prophecy. Uh, there's a whole section in the Old Testament on prophets. And we read, um, uh, do we have the Amos verse or the, uh, oh, we do. Okay, so let's talk about the prophets. I just, I grabbed one of these verses. I, there were like 10 others that I could have grabbed. This is from the beginning of the prophet Amos. The words of Amos. This is probably not a memory verse for you. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. That Put that on your refrigerator. I, I think that's a, that's a life verse for you. What's that there for? Essentially, 
just about every prophet has a verse like this at the beginning. The word of the Lord came to this prophet in this time, in this place. He's from Tekoa, a little village in the southern kingdom of Judah. He went preaching into the northern kingdom of Judah. We learn that. comes into play later in the book. Isaiah was king in the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam was king in the northern kingdom of Israel. All that means to us, it allows us to set a date, and it did it for them too, for people for centuries have been reading that and saying, oh yeah, Isaiah was king in the 8th century. I, we can figure out what was happening in the 8th century. There were specific things going on in the southern kingdom and in the northern kingdom. We can understand better what they were writing because of our understanding of their time and place. And in so many of those, the, uh, those situations, the prophets were dealing with situations of you know, corrupt governments, dealing where the rich were taking advantage of the poor, morals were declining, people were forgetting about God's word. Nothing like today. Let me try that again. Corrupt government, rich taking advantage of the poor, declining morals, uh, people forgetting about God's word. Nothing like today. Well, of course, it's, it's today. You got it in Mount Laurel the first time, right? I'm, you're, you're sharp. Um, so their world was like our world, but in some ways not. And so, again, we take the exacto knife through it and say, these are the things that really match up perfectly to our situation. And here are the things that we need to do some, some thinking about, some understanding about, to see what God is saying in our world uh, today. But we do have assurance also from Paul, or from Peter, actually, uh, the next verse we have here. Um, Peter says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. And the next slide. For prophecy uh, never had its origin in uh, human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it describes a process where the Spirit is speaking to the prophets about these specific things in their world. They're not making it up. It's not just they decide to say these things, that God is guiding them in these statements. One other thing the New Testament tells us about the Old Testament is uh, from Jesus himself. He's, uh, he was talking with the Pharisees, who were the Bible experts of his day. They majored in Bible. They knew every little word and punctuation mark in the scriptures. And he says to them one day, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You're missing the point, Pharisees. And we've talked about that here at Hope a lot, about how the Pharisees were very religious, but religion wasn't enough. The scriptures were testifying about Jesus. They were missing the point because they weren't coming to Jesus for what he offered them, the kingdom of God, salvation, peace with God. They were ignoring Jesus as they were cutting 
through the scriptures. And so what we learn from that as we go through the, all of the scriptures, the hard parts as well as, as the easier parts, ultimately at some level it's about Jesus. It brings us to Jesus. It helps us understand Jesus. It gives us, it shows us a universe that needs Jesus. And we ultimately find support for our faith in Jesus as a, as a result of our study of any of the passages of Scripture. One other note on that that I want to throw in here, because we're in this series uh, that we're calling The Way. And we are going through some of the ways that we connect with Jesus. Uh, there was a moment in Jesus' ministry, probably uh, at the Last Supper, where Jesus' disciples say to Jesus, show us the way. Show us the way to the Father. Now, it was not unusual for a rabbi like Jesus to have a method, to have a system that he taught to his students. That was fairly common. And so it could be that the disciples were saying, show us your method. You really, you've been talking a lot, but we haven't really gotten down you know, the five things we need to do to, to do this right. And how does Jesus answer that? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I'm not giving you five things you need to do. I'm giving you one person you need to know, you need to listen to, you need to connect with. And so the danger is, when we do a series like this on the way, what we hope won't happen is that you will come away saying, oh, here are five religious things I need to do to, become, to be a good Christian. I need to pray, and they told me how I should pray, I need to read the Bible, and they solved all my problems with the Bible, I need to do good deeds and be loving, and so here are all the things I have to do to be a good Christian. That's not what we're talking about. These are ways that we connect with the way Jesus. We talk to Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We let the power of Jesus fill our lives. This is the way that we follow. In these last few minutes that I have with you, I want to share with you something that I've been working on in the last couple of years. For the last three and a half years, I've worked with the American Bible Society. Uh, and it's a 200-year-old organization, and for the first 180 years, they were focusing on giving out Bibles, making sure every home in America had a Bible. Then they did a survey and found that really homes in America on average have 3.5 Bibles each. So they're pretty well stocked. Um, maybe it's more important to talk about Bible engagement. How do people get into the Bible? And so we began to study ways that people engage with the Bible. That's one reason they hired me, to develop materials that would help people get excited about, about the Bible. Along the way, we decided, what well, we better define Bible engagement. What, what are we really talking about here? And there have been a number of different definitions over the last 20 years. They basically have three elements to them, which might, might be helpful for you. Uh, to understand your own place in, in this. It's reading, it's reflecting, and it's responding. You need to read the Bible regularly, you need to dig into it and respond to the meaning, to what God is saying to you, and you need to let it change your life. 
and respond accordingly. We've developed a, um, we had all sorts of meetings where we were working with a theory of change. I don't know, some of you business people may be familiar with this idea of a theory of change, which is in any business, it's what the process you want to take your customers through as they get to know you and your product. In this case, if the Bible's the product, how do people grow in their interaction with the Bible? And so we came up with 10 steps, and I'm going to quickly share them with you. Um, uh, with the hope that you may see yourself here somewhere and see what the next step is for you. And you also may know how to talk to other people around you, people in your, in your neighborhood, people in your family, uh, who may have a different kind of relationship with the Bible than you do, and uh, you may be able to talk with them uh, more clearly about where they are and where, where you are. So the first, uh, the first step on this pathway uh, is uh, to become open to receiving or considering the Bible. And a lot of people in our world are not open to it. You hand them a Bible and they say, no, no, don't, I don't want to be bothered with this. Uh, they, some are against it, some are just apathetic to it. It's a big moment when someone opens up to it and actually opens it. Right? It's a moment of, of okay, let me check this out. Then, second step, to receive the Bible via appropriate delivery. And American Bible Society has a lot of international work in translation. And so it's exciting to see how this works and, and how people go and translators learn a language, put the Bible into that language, but then how do, what, how do they deliver it to people? Do they print Bibles sometimes, but a lot of times people can't read in those uh, in those countries. And so maybe they need uh, some sort of a device, some sort of a, an iPod kind of thing that plays a recording of the scripture, and they have those. And they have phones that work, that don't need cell towers, they work on satellites, and, but they have scripture content there. All of that is appropriate delivery. And so for us today, you may give your grandchild a Bible, and they may say, My, I haven't opened a book since last June. They're on screens, they're on phones, they're on computers. They're... So what is the appropriate delivery? To access the Bible in a language and format you can understand. And there are lots of different translations of the Bible available. And they're, they're almost all good. <laughs> they're, they're Different styles, different tones maybe, but they're all trying to do the same thing, to put the Bible, the Word of God, into modern language. So don't worry too much about, uh, about getting a bad translation. There, go to christianbook.com, get a translation that, that, that you like. I'm going to go to the next, uh, the next steps here. To... Um, Acknowledge the Bible could be for you. And I think there's a very, there's a key moment here where some, where, where this stops being just a book and it becomes the Word of God for you. That God is speaking to you in this book. It's a key, key moment. It might happen anywhere along this pathway, but we put it here. That there's a moment where it becomes real for you. 
The next is interaction with the Bible. And here we're mostly talking about regular interaction. Not just once in a while, but maybe something you do every week, maybe even every day. And it becomes part of your routine. So you get up every morning and brush your teeth and read the Bible. Or it's before you go to bed, you, you watch the news and then you read your Bible for five minutes and see how God, what God is saying to you about the news of the day, perhaps. But it becomes part of your life, that interaction with the Bible. And then to reflect on the Bible's message and your interaction with it. And so what is God saying to you in that? There are times that the interaction can become rote. It's, oh, I need to do this now. Okay, yeah, blah, 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 and go to bed. You don't want that. You want some real reflection on it, thinking about maybe digging into the meaning, getting a study Bible to learn some of the background of what's going on there, to cut through the Bible effectively. Uh, the final steps we can go do very quickly here uh, to understand the Bible's life-changing message of divine reconciliation, to recon recognize the Bible may change your life, to experience the life-changing reconciliation with God, to experience life-changing reconciliation with others. God speaks and things happen. They happen in our lives. And so to read the Bible and leave it on the page, yeah, that's not enough. God wants to get into us and take his scalpel to us and judge our thoughts and attitudes to form us, to shape us, to teach us, to bring us his wisdom and love and joy and creativity that happens here in the word of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for speaking so much. Thank you for this word that we have, and we struggle to understand it, and there are things that we don't get Keep talking to us. Keep guiding us. Keep Help us talk with each other about it. Show us your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.